to Going Mutts with the Little Black Dog Rescue Group. Join hosts Sarah and Erin each week as we dive into all things rescue, dogs, and the dog parent life. The Little Black Dog Rescue Group is a DC area-based, all-volunteer, all-foster-based dog rescue. Our goal is to help any abandoned, mistreated, or abused dog find the best possible home in the DC area regardless of breed, color, or size. We strive to achieve this goal with compassion, transparency, and a strong sense of responsibility to our dogs, applicants, volunteers, foster families, and supporters. Read more about what we do at www.thelittleblackdog.org. All right, welcome back to Going Mutts. We have our very first official guest, and it's Melissa. <laughs> That's the first Welcome, Melissa. Funny round of applause. <laughs> okay, round of applause is what that is, but how are you? I am doing well. How are you guys? We are also doing well. We started, we recorded, we're recording out of order. We recorded our long frame episode before this one, and we were a real bummer to start off with. <laughs> I was like, Aaron, Uh-oh. we have to pick up, we have, we have to pull ourselves up a little. <laughs> I know. We did Hopefully it. Hopefully I can get a little more lighthearted. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. Melissa, you are one of our, you, you are our very first official volunteer guest guest that isn't just me or Aaron talking more. Uh, I, I'm so excited to have you here. Before we get started, there is a question that we are asking everyone, and I have the answer to this question about you. I don't know if Aaron picked one. All right, so the question we're asking everybody is, what if you were a dog, what kind of dog would you be? Oh, man. Okay. You know how I can tell Melissa didn't listen to our podcast yet? <laughs> I won't lie to you. I have not. <laughs> Colin kept asking me. She's like, have you listened yet? I'll listen after this. I promise. I'll listen to at least I'll one, I think. I'm in. I think. <laughs> I, I have to say the type of dog that I have, which is actually I've never done a DNA test on her. So this is my educated guess. She is a Canaan dog, and that's the dog I would be. Um, Canaan dogs are from the Middle East. They are one of the first known animals to be domesticated. But what they used to do was they were basically alarm systems for when strangers would come to Bedouins or like nomadic people's encampments. And Hmm. so Canaan dogs are known as being like very aloof or... or, um, Mm-hmm. wary of strangers, but very protective and loving of their families. And that's something that I think describes me well as people who I care about and, and I love. I will do anything for them. I'm a very loyal person. And so I think my dog and I are, are very similar. So I would have to be a, a Canaan dog. Okay. I'll allow it. Although I do think when I asked Erin this question <laughs> last time, I told her she couldn't pick the kind of dog that Loki is. I think. Did I say that? Or did I just think that? <laughs> you didn't, and I definitely did. did I picked picture you. Everyone's gonna pick their type of dog. Of I'm... course they are. <laughs> I do think I do think yours made sense for me. Chihuahua, I really was only thinking about I the told, part. And I was like, yeah, I told Aaron to be the Pomeranian husky mix. Uh, I picked 
Chesapeake Bay <laughs> Retriever for you, yeah. Melissa. But I actually feel like you're like a Carolina dog shepherd mix. I do feel like I can I see think, that. I can see. I I get the kind dog. of aloof thing that you're saying. I what you describe for a, I do. <laughs> I think your aloofness is technically quiet observation. I don't I like consider that. you an alarmist. So like that. The description you just provided for the Canaan breed is the only problem I have since you were asking if I agreed or not. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> you were. You can be whatever dog you say you are. I I have had people disagree oh, yeah. with me a being a Canaan mix. I I think you have a fondness. For, yeah. I think you have a fondness for that group of dogs, and I absolutely see how you are that breed too. At the very same time. Hi. So I thank you for answering that question. We will be asking everyone. I get the liberty to tell other people what they are. And I think that Carolina, it's going to break Jackie's heart for me to say that she's not one. But Carolina dog. Oh, no. Carolina Shepherd, you're in the Shepherd family. You're there. That's You're there for sure. I see it. I do see it. High drive, observant regimented definitely blonde and beautiful (laughs) yeah good answer good answer good answer thank you now i can shut up (laughs) so now that we've gotten that straightened out uh melissa tell us more about what you do for tlbd you are deputy transport director but what does that mean So basically it means that I find dogs that need help and I figure out how to get them here. So we are contacted almost every day by different rescues across the country and internationally um, with requests to help bring dogs to our rescue because places, you know, across the world are just inundated with the amount of dogs that they're trying to help. And so my role is to work with our amazing uh, transport director and vice president Colette, who I'm sure the listeners will get to meet at some point, um, to identify which dogs we think we can help and figure out the logistics of bringing them here. So we work with a variety of different transport partners. Um, our main partner is a transport company out of Texas, and we bring a bunch of dogs up about every three weeks to every month Um a, a transport of about like 20 to 30 dogs. We tag a dog. We call it tagging. So once we tag a dog from a rescue that we can help, we are responsible for any care that that dog requires from then on. Mm-hmm. So if something happens to that dog, if they need medical treatment, if they need to find a new foster, even before they've come to the DC area, we're responsible for helping facilitate that process. So we have to be as much as I want to say yes to every single dog, that's the hardest part of the the job, right, is, is knowing that you're helping dogs, but inevitably you have to say no sometimes. But uh, basically what we do is we do find the dogs that we are able to help. We work with our transport coordinators, um, the transport companies. We've worked with pi- pilots, like different um, airlines and private pilots, different um, just nice people who have <laughs> decided that they want kind to drive people that hate free time and money yeah. <laughs> to bring us dogs and um 
we get them here and then work with everyone else on the team to find them a foster and find them a forever home. I like to think about the transport side as like a rescue within a rescue because so much of what transport does, they are medical and foster combined, foster coordination outside of the DMV. They are, uh, Melissa and Colette both do so much to maintain relationships, to build relationships, to find fosters, to get medical care. They're doing all of that on the front end so that when the dogs get to us and they're all like, like we're always learning in general, but in the podcast too, in particular right now, as is relevant, they're always learning from every single experience and they have only ever gotten incrementally or not incrementally, like substantially better through learning how to do things from experiences. I am all, I mean, I'm always impressed with what people do period with the rescue, but I, I cannot, like, I could not keep up with the amount of stuff that Melissa and Colette do. Aaron, I couldn't keep up with you, with what you do either or anybody else for that matter. But like thinking about it, I'm like, that's, that's so much. (laughs) It gives me anxiety to think about. It does. I, I will say that is all Colette. She is the one who her her brain capacity to remember all of the moving parts mm-hmm. for each individual job or dog just amazes me because, like we said, you could have a dog that's with a foster and then that foster in Texas says, oh, well, I can't take this dog. <laughs> who is that? That's Loki. <laughs> <laughs> that's Loki making a guest the real star of the podcast <laughs> always like, let me tell you um but you know there you'll have a dog that's in a foster and needs to get to the vet and we have to make the vet appointment in Texas and then and they're in Texas and in Texas find a different person that'll be able to transport them because the foster doesn't have a car etc and she is a Colette is able to keep it all in her brain and know exactly when she needs to make a phone call, who she needs to call. She mm-hmm. knows everyone in Texas. I mean, people know Colette by name in Texas. And I think she's been once in her life. So so the I think of the kind of shining moments, which there are many of, that you've had was Rory. Uh, Aurora, who came. She was our very first international dog. Uh, you've really driven our the international piece of the rescue. And we have some more international pups that are coming in April. Do you want to tell us more about that? How did you even, how did you do that? How do you do that? Isn't there like a language barrier? How do you build trust? I don't understand how you do this from, I I was impressed by Texas. And you're able to do it in an entirely different country with an entirely different language. I will say that it is... I'm going to say this and it's going to bite me in the butt, but it is not as difficult as it sounds. There are people, I think everyone who works in rescue is so incredibly dedicated and determined when they want to get something done and they want to help a dog, they're going to make it happen. And so I, um, it's, it's a background story that is very close to my heart of why I want to do international rescue. Um, the reason that I really am passionate about international rescue is I 
rescued my dog from Palestine in 2016. I was living there and I found her on the streets and I brought her to the only shelter in the West Bank. Um, and really just as soon as I dropped her off was like, nope, this isn't going to work for me. I need to go get her. <laughs> and through that process, I was able to bring her home. So I got a bit of a more familiarity with the process of bringing dogs internationally. But I also made this incredible connection with the woman who runs the shelter in the West Bank. And I believe it was sometime mid last year, I reached out to her because we were talking about expanding internationally and having the capacity to, you know, help more dogs. And at least at the time of this recording, I hopefully it'll change in the future. There is a list currently of 113 countries that are deemed high risk for rabies countries. And there's lots of restrictions for being able to import dogs from those countries. Thankfully, Israel is not on that list. And so it was the perfect opportunity to be able to expand and not face those, those barriers or restrictions based on um, that ban. So I reached out to her and she immediately was like, I will do anything logistically that you need me to do. And I will get the dog to the airport and I will make it happen. And this woman was able to bring the dogs, get all of them vetted. Um, she does spay and neuter for all of her dogs, um, brings them to different vets based on where she needs to send them in the world. There's different um, regulations about where the vet records need to be authorized by. So if they could be authorized by the Palestinian government versus the Israeli government, she found people to take her across the checkpoints into Israel to the um, airport. And I was able through just word of mouth and Facebook to find a Israeli American man who was traveling in November That's from crazy. Tel Aviv <laughs> to Newark. And he said, sure, I'll bring a dog. And so uh, he contacted the airline that he was working with, added a dog to his ticket, um, worked with the people from the shelter to get all the information that he needed. And he basically added the dog as excessive baggage and took the dog to the gate, put him on the flight underneath the uh, plane, and I picked the dog up at baggage claim. <laughs> so it, I, I kept waiting. I was so And the rest is history. <laughs> What's going to go wrong, right? I was just so terrified. There's so many places that things could have happened, and it really was... <laughs> A seamless process because everyone was so determined to get that dog here and she is now living with the most incredible family in Baltimore and living her best life as Tessa and we now have the opportunity to bring three more dogs in April um, from the same shelter. The biggest challenge has been to find flight volunteers so we basically have to find people who are already flying from Tel Aviv to somewhere in the U.S. and are willing to add dogs to their tickets, which mm -hmm. most people don't realize is, again, more of a seamless process than you would So imagine. easy. It's shockingly right. easy. Right. And if we can get the word out about, oh, all you have to do is just sign this dog up. Um, we do pay for the transport, so I've paid everyone in advance. It's nothing off of anyone's back other than escorting the dog to the gate. And then they get on and you're on the plane by yourself and it's like it never happened. So no. 
Technically, it's easier than bringing little dogs because they're they're not carry on under the seat in front of you that you have to manage. (laughs) Yes, you don't have to worry about the dog under your feet for a 12 hour, 13 hour flight. But um, yes, that is an incredible leg space if you could fit the size dog that Rory is (laughs) at your feet, though. Rory was like, what, 65 pounds? She was a decent sized dog. (laughs) She was. She was. She was like checked baggage size for sure. Insensitive way to say this, and I know that, but we're talking about flying them for 12 hours. So, <laughs> that is, I, I mean, I am very lucky to have you, and I mean, all volunteers, but to have you in a role where you are clearly so, so good at facilitating and maintaining these relationships. So now that we've talked a little bit more about what you do for the rescue, what do you do for your quote-unquote real job, Melissa? So I am an associate project manager for a tech startup. I have no background in tech at all. I have two degrees in Middle Eastern studies, and because of the pandemic, I work (laughs) in tech. So it's honestly been a blessing. It's something I never thought I would go into. I'm still very passionate about the Middle East. Um particularly about education around the Middle East. And so I would love to do something with that in the future. But for now, I am working for this startup, working with primarily government clients to build out their databases and and data collection systems. Um, But it, it is nice that it gives me the flexibility. I work from home to be able to dedicate my evenings and extra time to the rescue as well. Yeah, so how do you think that kind of, I guess... Maybe your real job and then also kind of what you studied. I mean, obviously, having studied Middle Eastern studies, that kind of informs your passion and your interest in the international transport. But how does that kind of inform your work with the rescue? Like what you do? What skills do you bring? I would say the the skill that I have learned from work, but also from the rescue and kind of they inform each other is the need for flexibility. Sarah mentioned at the beginning, I am a very regimented person. I like processes. I like planning things, but rescue work does not go as planned. It never You're does. You're the most like, flexible type A person I know. Are you, you're type A, right? Do you oh, consider I yourself type A? type A? Oh, absolutely. But that's a thing. You hide it so well. A, it, that's a compliment. When you work for a startup and when you work for a rescue, you have no choice to be, but to be flexible. So I would say both of those opportunities, they push me in very specific ways to think outside of the box, to adapt, to pivot when things go wrong um, and, and not get too caught up on the plans that you initially put in place. But I would say for Middle Eastern studies, again, this is obviously why I'm interested in bringing dogs from from Palestine. That's really my my passion. I went to school all four years of my undergrad in Abu Dhabi in the United Arab Emirates. And so really got to travel around the region and see all the different dogs there. I love the street dogs there. Um, and would really, how many street dogs would you see on an average basis? How many dogs would you see just out and around? So in Abu Dhabi, not many at all in the city. Out in the country, there's much more. Um, I would say out in like the rural areas, you would, if you're just driving through like a highway, you would, 
or through a town, you would see one every like couple blocks. Um, in Palestine, it was so in the in the Levant region, so like Palestine, Jordan, um, Israel, it's much more concentrated. The dogs were almost every block or grouped around certain areas that they thought or they learned to be more friendly to street dogs. Um, street cats as well are everywhere. But unfortunately, some people think of dogs there as dirty animals. Um, and so it, just as it is in the U.S., and I don't ever want to paint the picture that, you know, people over there treat dogs differently. That's not what I want people to take out of this. It's more of raising awareness that just as in the U.S., how we get so many dogs that are throwaways from Texas and people don't like them and, you know, want to euthanize them is a very similar thing in parts of the Middle East where dogs are seen as disposable and, and a nuisance and a public health hazard because they're all over the streets. So, yeah, depending on where you are, there you see them a lot. Yeah, I, I can definitely see, especially if rabies... Again, so I feel like I have an appreciation for rabies concerns. I, I think that rabies... It feels like maybe we have more control around herd immunity for rabies than maybe necessarily international places do. But I don't know that that's a fair... I'm guessing that based on what you're saying about kind of the, like a, the dirty animal comment. Rabies is contractible yeah. by people. Right. If you get rabies, you're dead. Like there's not an option that is you get to live through this. You can get... There is treatment for it. Yeah, I can see how like the level of awareness and caution that's taken can change culture around. Yeah, no, that's a great dogs that have, you know, a disease that can jump from them to us. What did you want to do when you were a kid? What did you think? This is what was the first job you remember wanting to have? It's so cliche. I think it was a veterinarian, but I can't deal with blood. I was the same. I was the same. I couldn't yeah, deal with putting I, dogs down. I can't down. do... Blood makes me queasy. I know Colette has been... has doing a new initiative to help give vaccines so we can save money by us administering vaccines instead of taking them to the vet. And she asked if I wanted to help. And I'm like, I can't see a needle. I can't... I can't do it. So even though... Yeah. So that was my first job I wanted. But it very quickly became apparent that that was never going to happen. <laughs> I, I think that you take directives super well. I think you observe the way that people are. And then if if and when and because you are driven in this space, you do this very well. I also think you're not very, you're not a highly sensitive, emotional person from what, from your interactions with people in the rescue. I think you see it as an interaction that is going to, to benefit the dogs. Yeah. And you are able to direct your your focus that way. So you don't spend a whole lot of time evaluating. Like, I spend way too much time thinking about well, this interaction and what I said and what they said. And it's such a waste of my time and <laughs> mental energy. And I know it is. But you do such a good job of kind of considering those things carefully. I think you also hold people to a standard. And you have to be able to do that on the transport side. You have to be able to communicate with people so so clearly and make sure that they understand while we are here to help 
and we are here to do what we can to help them help dogs. We are not like, you can't mess with us. You can't mess with us. Don't. If you're trying to do something else, we're going to detect it. And it's not going to happen. Like, I am I am the person that would get taken advantage of. And I know that. <laughs> I think that you and Colette are 100% not the people. If, if I've you definitely were trying, grown into that skill. Yes. I agree with you on that one. <laughs> yes, I think that, that is not something that I naturally brought here. I am a pushover actually like by nature i hate confrontation i don't like saying no to people but i have never found you to be a pushover i think you have a limit and when you reach that limit you express it honestly and openly i try to that's something i really strive to do and rescue work has helped me grow that skill a lot but it's not something that comes naturally at all well you're doing it now i do a good job hiding it from appearances (laughs) you're doing a great job hiding it (laughs) (laughs) It looks supernatural. (laughs) All right. Supernatural. Ready for a rapid fire question? Oh, no. Okay. I'm ready. Okay. Uh, First question. What is your secret superpower? I can find probably 95% of the things that get lost in my house. Oh, I wish I had that skill. I I do, too. Oh, I know mine. Okay. (laughs) I can... I can... Rap the whole song "Look at Me Now" by Busta Rhymes. I'm in love with that. Don't superpower. make me do it on this podcast. I will not. I'm not going to do that. Quite you came up with one. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome to do it anytime you want, <laughs> but I will trust that you can do that, and I love that. That's my claim to fame. In the movie of your life, who plays you? I was gonna gonna say Amanda. What's her face? Seyfried. Seyfried. I don't know how to say her name. Seyfried. Yeah, Amanda Seyfried. Is, is yeah. that who people have told you that you look like? I think my boyfriend did when we first started dating, and I was like, "Are you blind?" But it was a nice compliment. Aaron, who are you in the movie of your life? So I think it's just because of my unnatural hair color, but people tell me I look kind of like Emma Stone, and I feel like I'm kind of doofy like her so like we're both doofies sabrina the teenage that's me yes that one's me i can so see you look like her very much like her uh who has more fun blondes brunettes or bald people okay well (laughs) i'm blonde it has to be blonde it has to be blonde because i'm blonde and my dog's blonde and we have a lot of fun I accept your answer. Aaron, do you disagree? As a brunette, do you take offense to this? You're more, you're like reddish brunette. Okay. Uh, to be honest, my natural hair color is like a very, very ashy blonde. So. When you see a baby at a grocery store, do you wave at the baby? Well, now I feel like whatever I say is going to be judged. Well, I have a follow-up really? question. Oh, I do. I always do. I always do also. Okay. Do. When you see a dog... At a place you wouldn't necessarily expect to see a dog, do you talk to the dog? Oh, without a doubt. That's not. I think anyone in this rescue would say yes. yes. I agree with you. New, another follow-up. Another follow-up. <laughs> do you say anything to the person that is with that dog? No. Nope. <laughs> Never. Never. I look straight at that dog. I don't care who is with it. That is it. You address the dog exclusively. Hi, buddy. 
Oh, look at in you. In a little doggy voice. Oh, you're very person. All right, last question. No, second to the last question. What, when dogs are having a dream, what are they dreaming about? What do you think they're dreaming about? Mine is dreaming about killing a squirrel or a bird. 100%. Okay. <laughs> Because, you know, when they, like, make those, like, squeaky noises, I just picture her that's when she's, like, got the squirrel in her mouth. I've thought about this before. Has this happened in front of you? I think she probably, oh, yeah, she's killed many squirrels and birds. Okay. Uh, How do you kill a bird? Does she snatch them out of the air? She, so, I'm originally from Maine, and my parents have a dog as well, and they have, like, a big backyard, and so... They both just patrol the backyard waiting for anything to come by. I feel like Apollo, I feel like any dog that I see having a dream is running in a field. <laughs> they always look like little papa twitches. <laughs> yeah. Erin, what is, what do you think they're dreaming about? So Loki is always, like, she doesn't move. She just, like, is curled up and then she starts crying and then I get very concerned about her. So then I just like put my hand on her and I'm like, it's okay until she stops crying. So I think it's sad. <laughs> All right, last question. Why are you like this? Why are you like this? <laughs> Look at the lack of appreciation in that face. <laughs> if you had listened to the other episode, <laughs> Yeah, I don't get it. You would know that this is a mean... I, I, I am entertaining myself by saying, why are you like this? It's a positive... Why are you so nice and generous and good at doing this is the question. But if you say it like, why are you like this? <laughs> I was like, excuse me? I have very much enjoyed our very first guest... Melissa, you did a great job. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us and being willing to be the first guest on Going Mutts. So before we sign off, want to flag some upcoming events. First of all, we have a transport of pups arriving on April 8th. We're always looking for fosters, so please sign up to foster if you are able and stay tuned for some more updates on our transport. We'll also have an adoption event at Port City Brewing Company in Alexandria on April 23rd. We also have a puppy yoga at District Dog's new location in Northeast DC on Sunday, April 24th. And you can always find more information about our upcoming events on our Facebook page. So follow us if you do not already. And as always, you can sign up for our email updates and you can donate on our website. Please, 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 please. Please. That is thelittleblackdog.org. Again, that is thelittleblackdog.org. If you have hit Connecticut, you have gone too far. And until next time, that is Aaron's line. I've stole it every time. It is mine now. But Aaron gets that. She said that first episode. It's the best. Until next time, from the bottom of our little black hearts, thanks for hanging out with us. <laughs>